Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hello and welcome to this special edition of the Manchester is Red podcast for the Manchester Evening News. Also coming to you live on Facebook as well if you're joining us there. If not, and you're just listening on the usual platform, then welcome wherever you are in the world. A special edition podcast here on Sunday. Ollie, no longer at the wheel. Manchester United have parted ways with Oligon Solskjaer today on Sunday in the wake of their humiliating defeat to Watford at the weekend. I'm joined by Tyro Marshall and Samuel Luckhurst, who are both there at Vicarage Road. We'll start with you, Samuel. Um, it felt inevitable, didn't it, after the full-time whistle? I mean, it probably felt inevitable at half-time as well. United, no way back from there. All new low under Oligon Solskjaer. And for you, was it absolutely no surprise that Solskjaer was sacked in the wake of it? Or did you almost think that a club this inept who had you know, two great opportunities to part ways with manager might have held on for a bit longer? It really wouldn't have surprised me either way. But it did feel just observing, seeing the way Solskjaer was acting, uh, the way some of the players were, the the tears in the dressing room, uh, all that kind of stuff. That, that It did feel like the end yesterday and... Uh, when we were in transit on the way home, I think it was pretty apparent just from the messages we were getting that it was the end as well. Uh, it's it's ridiculous that we've been discussing over the last month what result would constitute a sacking after a 5-0 defeat by Liverpool, which was four weeks ago today. I heard a lot has happened since then, um, but United have barely improved. The only win was against a team who sacked their manager two days later. And as as bad as it became under Solskjaer. Uh, I, I think the scrutiny, is, as I said on Friday, I think it was, it's rightly been on the Glazers, Ed Woodward, Richard Arnold, the, the kingmakers, the decision makers, because they had two open goals to sack him the week after the Liverpool game when there was no midweek match. Uh, the October, Sorry, not the October internationals, the, the November internationals, two open goals, both times they put the ball in Rose Ed. And the timing of this sacking is is not ideal when there's a game on, on Tuesday night and it's a very important game as well. But it's still striking. Even with sacking, it's, it seems like they've they've bungled it a little bit by by making him the only the only casualty. Head, heads had to roll at United and, and Solskjaer was the only one who was summoned to the guillotine. You've you've got David De Gea yesterday saying how team don't know what to do with the ball and they don't know how to defend. And it's still the same set of coaches who are going to be in charge for the Mural game and and possibly the Chelsea game on Sunday. Now, even if they somehow win both of those games, I don't think anybody's going to be getting carried away. This this set of coaches are not the future um, for Manchester United. It's not the way forward. They're very very lucky uh, to still be there. Um, you can't you can't get rid of all of them. Someone's got to take the training session. Someone's got to put the cones out. But why the hell Mike Phelan is still there is absolutely beyond me. Uh, why he's actually at the club is is beyond me. He doesn't seem to have any purpose there. He seems to be in a redundant role. And unfortunately, it's it, it became so unedifying at, at Watford, not, not just with what happened with Solskjaer at the end, but in the first half, Phelan, on the only time I think he came into the technical area, he tried to 
pass on some tidbits to Rashford. And Rashford just looked like a, a kid who'd been told to do his homework by his parent. Um, he, he gave him real short shrift. And when you see stuff like that happening, you wonder how how it's been allowed to carry on to this, this extent. And it was just getting worse and worse and worse. And the failure to sack him earlier has incurred more humiliations. City went very, very um, easy on them. Atalanta was a creditable uh, point, but again, nobody nobody was getting carried away with it. It was pretty clear that Solskjaer had been you know, bailed out again by Ronaldo. And then when you go to Watford and you lose 4-1 and, and, and when Joshua King and Tom Cleverley taking the mick out of you isn't even the top line, then it, they've, they've, yeah, they've made the right decision, but they've just taken far too long to actually make that decision. Yeah, like you said, we'll poke on to the coaches, you know, later into this and, and what the, the state of play is, you know, still now is he's not as prepared for that game, like you said, against Villarreal. But yeah, I mean, we can see if the comments coming in, keep them coming in if you're watching live on Facebook. You know, there does seem to be sort of this the, the respect from fans of Solskjaer as a player, you know, the legacy's over now, and I think that they can maybe reflect on what he did and the some of the good he did at, at the club, but like you said. The, the fact the timing of the sacking tells you there's a much bigger sort of issue at play at Manchester United regardless of who's going to come in and the fact that those coaches you know that we said are, are still in, in place as well just indicates that it's not just going to be that sort of magic one solution even when they do appoint a new manager Ty the actual atmosphere at Vicarage Road for you yesterday Solskjaer you know towards the end of the booze from the, the away section it was the first and probably only time during his own tenure that the match-going fans sort of did have enough and, and make their displeasure voiced at, at the coach. Was that the moment for you that you realised that this is different to the other defeats? You know, we spoke about Liverpool and the Man City ones. The caveat, okay, they're humiliating, but they are defeats against elite teams, which United aren't. Watford is a completely different kettle of fish, isn't it? And for you, was that the moment that it really did feel like the writing was on the wall? Um yeah, yeah. I mean, it it, it it probably felt that way when the third goal went in, and when the fourth goal went in, before the reaction of the fans, really. But and just the, fir- the the first half performance was probably the most startling. I mean, Watford had eleven shots to United's two. They just absolutely slaughtered United for forty five minutes. They battered them. It could have been four nil or five nil, and it really was an embarrassing performance in the first half. This is a team who hadn't won at home since the opening day. Steve Bruce, Bruno Large and Ralph Hasenhutl had all taken teams there and not lost recently. And then Solskjaer's Man United turns up and just gets torn to shreds for 45 minutes. After a week in which they've had a full week to train at Carrington, when Solskjaer says, we've corrected some issues this week, I, mean, I can only presume that they fixed the coffee machine or something like that because none of those issues were on the pitch. And that... Well, it looked like they needed a coffee as well, ironically, didn't they? They were just so lethargic. And that's, you know, that's not just on Solskjaer. That's on the coaches. This is an inexperienced coaching team. And that that 45 minutes felt like a damning indictment of the coaching team because it was exactly the same as Leicester. And Leicester was over a month ago. And the performance was the same. The floors were the same. So I don't know what has happened or what's been worked on, but none of it had been fixed. But the reaction... um, the reaction at the end, I think it was, you know, I've, I've said this and I know Samuel said this as well. It was a sad way for it to for it to end, really. And I put I put in my initial match piece, which was meant to be rewritten, that I think a lot of those fans who booed Solskjaer yesterday did it out of frustration. And you could tell even in the first half, the frustration was building. They did it out of frustration at seeing another inept performance. They booed Solskjaer and, and Fernandez did his reaction where he kind of waved at all the players. 
They beat Solskjaer because he was the one with the courage to go closest to the away end. The rest of them stood 30 yards away. Solskjaer went up and actually apologised. That's why he took the brunt of it. I think a lot of them who booed, probably in the, in the when the sun rose again this morning, probably regretted it and might still regret it, knowing it was his last act as United manager. He probably deserved better than that, but that's not on the fans. That's on the Glazers. That's on Ed Woodward. He started as a caretaker manager and he's ended as a caretaker manager. Everyone has known since that Liverpool game that he was going to get sacked and it was a matter of time. And they wanted to limp on to the end of the season, but anyone could have told that that was not possible, that performances were too bad, that it was going to get worse before it got better. And to for a club to sack a manager one game after the last international break for four months, it's just the epitome of a football club without a plan and without leadership. It is just completely, completely clueless. And... It might sound strange to say they should have done the honourable thing by Solskjaer and sacked him, but he almost needed saving for himself from himself. And if it had been removed in the international break or after Liverpool, it could have, you know, it, it could have saved him that that farewell where his last act as a Man United employee, after everything he's done for the club, is to be booed by an away end. And, you know, he didn't deserve that. You can't blame the fans for it. It was pure frustration at seeing such a poor performance. But he should never have been in charge for that game. And that United thought that they could cross their Edward and John Glazer they could cross their fingers, hide behind the sofa and just things would limp on till till the summer is ridiculous on the basis of recent performances. You just do not know what they were thinking. And the the, the timing of it is just another embarrassment for a supposedly great football club. Yeah, like you said, it's just a a, a, a team and a, I guess a brand, I guess you can call them a business, whatever, where the lack of strategy stems from the top and trickles down. And of course, Solskjaer becomes that easy scapegoat. But like we said, he's been sacked. The sort of supply teacher coaches are still there. Nothing has really changed. Solskjaer's gone, but what else has changed? Not enough. And, you know, it does feel like there's going to have to be more sort of seismic changes if there's going to be that readdress and United are actually ever going to to be the biggest football club in the world like, like they claim to be. And yeah, you didn't need fans sentiment graphs at full time yesterday to know something wasn't up. Uh, Samuel, you could see, I guess, like Ty touched upon there, maybe the thing which is quite painful is you could see how much it did matter to Solskjaer and you could never say he didn't care and, you know, he was just find out, found out that he wasn't an elite manager, you know, and, you know, the novelty sort of wore off, didn't it? And that was painfully clear to see. But you touched upon this on, on Twitter and on social media. You said that, you know, the fact the United have sacked Solskjaer now, we saw it with Mourinho, it's almost a confession that the season is over. Do you feel that, I mean, how bad did it have to get then for the club to actually acknowledge that? Because do you think if United had only lost 2-1 yesterday, Solskjaer would still be in a job? Or do you think it would just yeah. be a manner of those late goals that really... Yeah, yeah, I, I genuinely do. It's it, Two added time goals should not make, uh, should not have a big bearing on a decision, but they did yesterday. Because in fairness to United in the second half, uh, they were very good yesterday up until Harry Maguire got sent off. Van der Beek came on, he, he scored, he was brilliant. The, he was the sole positive in that performance yesterday. And that reflects negatively on Solskjaer because Solskjaer just refused to play him. He went six weeks at one point earlier this season without getting a kick. Um, okay, Solskjaer was not sold on him, but Van der Beek was clearly, is clearly a good footballer if he's used in the, in the right way. And he was an all-action man in that second half. And then... Maguire has just been a walking disaster before and after his, his injury this season. Um, did it again. The, the hubris of it, you know, with the, the, the ear-cupping celebration last week and then he gets sent off at Watford. What Roy Keane said was right about Maguire. He, he has been, it was embarrassing last week. His form has been a disgrace. 
I think the next permanent United manager should certainly consider uh, relocating the captaincy to someone else. But the fact that United were in this position where they, the game was salvageable or seems salvageable up until the red card and it was still tight and Lingard came on and on the off chance they'd still get something out of the game, then it's killed off. That, that was the trigger point. And when the third go, goal goes in, you think, OK, game over and... You know, we're kind of joking. Oh, does this does this constitute a sack in this result? And when the fourth one goes in, I think Ty even turned to me and he said, in answer to your question, yes, uh, that, that was the trigger for it. But the fact that a football club is run um, in that way just summarises what shambles United are from top to bottom. Even on the Zoom call, it was North Korea tactics again yesterday, preventing people from asking questions media department are far too antagonistic they're not communicative enough um the decision making decision has been pretty it's, it's again it's treating supporters with contempt uh the fact that they had to stoop to the low of booing Solskjaer for him to be removed as manager was a really unedifying sight but i'm not i'm not slating those supporters who did it they've, they've had to bite their lip for such a while now already and support Solskjaer in a pretty commendable and edifying way, but everyone has a breaking point. Ty, I mean, in terms of the state of play now then, so Michael Carrick, interim manager for you know, for who knows how long. I mean, it's Manchester United, isn't it? There, there is no long-term plan. Let's just vibe it and see what happens, I guess, is probably, probably the expectation, isn't it? So he'll lead the team going to Villarreal on Tuesday. Um, I mean, there's hardly anyone else they could have got in that time anyway to, to take the team. Are you surprised by just how little you know, of change that actually has been? Because United fans have been asking for this change. But like I said earlier, Solskjaer is the one who's paid the price. But that doesn't seem like that's going to just solve the problems. It doesn't seem like it's going to solve any problems. Yeah, I mean, on the, on the, the coaching point of view, they have no one but Carrick. And it kind of sums up that, you know, Manchester United are the only football club that can release a 146-word statement confirming a manager's leaving and include in it a plan to appoint three new managers, basically, and in, a caretaker, an interim, and then a permanent manager. Um, and, it you know, it, it shows that they were desperate to limp to the end of the season with Solskjaer. Samuel's right in that the, co- the coaching is clearly not good enough. They needed a more experienced, at least one more experienced coach on the training ground there to, to make a difference and never appointed him. With, with Solskjaer gone now, it's even more inexperienced. The coaching hasn't been good enough. But because they haven't got someone to come in with his own coaching team, they were hamstrung in what they could do, really. If they'd have got rid of three or four of them, I mean, you simply haven't got the numbers to, to sufficiently train a squad of 30 players, really, which is probably what it is when you when you count the, the under-23s who step up to first-team training. So they had little option, really, but to but to stick with those coaches. But I think it's pretty clear that they're not good enough. I think whoever comes in, as the interim manager and the permanent manager, is probably going to want to make some changes. And while coaches like McKenna and Carrick might have potential and there might be room for them in a more junior role within the structure, the fact that they're so front and centre, I think that that can't continue because it's just not been good enough for United. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, that's got to be a, a drastic change which is made. So, Samuel, you know, we've, we have just said there that who knows what's going to happen next. I mean, it's Manchester United. You can't say with any sort of confidence that there is going to be this. They're going to follow through with the plans they've even said publicly. You, you just don't know anymore. But from what you know, from what you consider, and maybe even your own personal opinion, who are the front runners? Who are the actual candidates that you could see genuinely coming in and, and becoming the next Manchester United manager? The the whole 
the whole interim manager, the interim manager after the current interim manager, uh, as Ty said, this it's just crazy that they're going to have four managers uh, by their logic within the space of a year, possibly. But I think they've really, um, again, they've they've played themselves into trouble with this use of the word interim. Some people watching this, listening to this, won't remember what happened with Rafael Benitez at Chelsea in, in 2012. I think it was pretty much in, that was November as well, so pretty much nine years ago. And he was announced as the interim manager. And obviously Benitez was unpopular at Chelsea because of his links with Liverpool. And he got to a point in the season where even he complained about their use of the word interim. And it's addition to the press release that was sent out by United this morning a lot of coaches are going to turn their nose up at that. A lot of coaches who might have considered going, being parachuted in at United are not going to want to just be there as interim manager. So you're, you're looking at a very specific profile of manager to replace Michael Carrick until the end of the season. And it's very, very difficult to identify that profile of manager that is going to be someone who is happy just to be there until May but is actually going to get a rise out of the players and, and ensure that United qualify for the Champions League because the, the objectives have been downgraded to that pretty much. And they, they might still be in the Champions League in the knockout stage after the, the group stage as well. So you, you could you could actually possibly win it. I mean, Laurent Blanc, I remember messaging a, a friend a couple of months ago just saying lump money on Laurent Blanc because he seemed like such an obvious candidate and that he's not at a top-level club. I think he's managing in the Middle East. He played for United. Fergie likes him. Uh, he's compliant. He's He's got an aura about him. But if Laurent Blanc was even put in that position, however long ago it was that he last managed PSG, I think it was about five and a half years ago, he's still probably going to think, well, I've got a shot at being permanent manager. And the first question he'd be asked at his press conference would be, do you want the job on a permanent basis? And he'd probably say yes. And then say Laurent Blanc does what Solskjaer did, he gets a rise out of them and he goes one better and he actually gets them in the Champions League next season. And the Glazers and Rich Donald think, you know what, this guy is really compliant. He's got um, he's got a rise out of the players. He's got it back in the top four. The revenues are sustained for another season. I think we'll, we'll make him permanent manager. We, we really like him. Whereas to any sound of mind, objective, knowledgeable football following the game, it's absolutely ludicrous to even consider Laurent Blanc as a permanent United manager. But just given that hypothetical scenario, it's completely believable. So I think already they've played themselves into trouble, which is in keeping with the running of the club. Um, who that caretaker manager would be, I mean, it, it could well be someone like Laurent Blanc because he does, he does fit the criteria for that. But in terms of the long-term appointment, so much could happen between now and the end of the season. Um, the time is just not right for Brendan Rodgers because Leicester, unfortunately for him, have taken 15 points from their 12 games. They appear to be in decline. He shouldn't be completely written off. You look at his body of work at, at Leicester in nearly three years. He's done an excellent job there. Unfortunately, they've had a bad start to the season. And he needs to really stop the rock quite quickly and, and get them going again, um, just, just for Leicester's own purposes, but also from the selfish perspective, if he is to be uh, what, the, the front runner again for United. With Pochettino, his, his aura started diminishing the moment United wanted him in December 2018. Um, that, that last year at Tottenham, they, they did get to the Champions League, but 
that was a pretty wretched year in terms of their form. And they only got to the Champions League through two pretty fluky results. And then the final was a complete non-event. Um, it was it was pretty embarrassing, actually. It was that, that final was very much lads. It's Tottenham. I, I knew as soon as I saw them celebrating on the pitch in Amsterdam in the semi-finals, clutching beer bottles, that it was over. Whereas with Liverpool, after that great comeback against Barcelona, for them, it's it's like we do this. We we come back um, in big European games at Anfield, and we're we're going to go one better in the final. And the final was was easy. And since then. You know, Pochettino was out of work for 13 months. He's gone to PSG because he became so impatient with United. And if they do actually end up going for him, the question to ask is, why the hell didn't you go for him when he was out of work for 13 months? So however way you look at it, um, the, the word I want to use to describe it, I, I can't repeat, but it is a, it's a cluster. And, you know, Eric Ten Hag ticks a lot of boxes, but I don't think he's really got he's never really managed egos and it's going to be a huge, it would be a huge leap for my ex to United. I, I really like Luis Enrique, but I don't believe for one moment that he would abandon Spain when the world cups next November. And it seems Spain seemed to want him to be in charge for the next euros as well. So I think if it, if it wasn't one of those, if, if it wasn't one of Pochettino Rogers or Ten Hag, I think it would be, be a slight surprise at this stage, but someone could emerge during the season and be the most obvious candidate to to come in as the next United manager. A lot of people have misread the room with uh, with Zinedine Zidane. There's been a lot of noise around Zidane, but the obvious the obvious reply there is that if United really wanted him, really wanted to appoint him, they'd have appointed him by now. Um, the fact that they're saying end of the season, I'd say that effectively rules him out for good. Ty, I'm going to come to you on this and ask you maybe for your your own personal choice. Maybe it doesn't have to be anyone who you think will get a job, but who you would do. Scott, some of the some of the comments I've seen here, like the one that's just come up on screen from Michael Wilson, Diego Simeone. I've seen a lot of people saying Roy Keane. Let's put his money where his mouth is. Not <laughs> how much, but I'm, I'm not sure his presence would would unite the dressing group. It might uh, grow the chasm even even further apart. So, which would be interesting because, of course, and I've come onto this later, but whoever comes in will have to deal with Lingard's future, Pogba's future. Henson's future, Van der Beek's future. There are big decisions for whoever takes charge yeah. to, to solve. Yeah. But Ty, before we get onto that, maybe I'll come to that for you, Samuel, in a minute. Ty, anyone for you who who you would like to have as, I mean, Steve Bruce to end of the season, Anthony McCormick, I'm not sure that's going uh, <laughs> to take you too much. Who's <laughs> yeah, um, got United DNA? Is that what we're going yeah, to keep on yeah. saying here? Um, are we talking interim here or permanent? Which which one of the three managers? Why, why don't you give me one of each? Um in, what about Gareth Southgate for interim? Do you reckon he'd fancy a sabbatical from, from England duty? Um, they've not got much on till May, have they? I mean, Samuel's <laughs> right that there isn't really. It almost makes sense to get an international manager before the World Cup. He fancies nine months out. Um, someone left field from, I don't know, Carlos Queiroz thinks to mind, obviously not him, but <laughs> someone like that who would have a sabbatical from an international duty purely because... Mancini, I'm not sure Mancini. Someone's Mancini, yeah. Mancini. I think they've got... Playoffs, haven't they? So that's not going to be that's yeah, not going to be a good. I'm look. Not sure if City title winning managers are really the uh, no, but that's because Samuel's right that if they appoint someone like um, Blanc or Ranić or anything of any stature, you know, I know they're both they're, they're both tied up in jobs at the moment, but in in lesser jobs, so to speak. But they're still going to, you know, they're not going to want to come in and be interim managers, and that interim word is a difficult one to get your head around. So 
it, it's hard to know exactly who the interim is is going to be. I mean, let's be honest, it would be no great surprise if it ended up being Carrick and if they won the next three or four games. You've seen stranger things happen at this football club. Um, in terms of a permanent manager, they, they almost need someone to emerge because I don't think there's a, a standout candidate at the moment. Well, there isn't a standout candidate at the moment, is there? I would lean towards Ten Hag, I think, purely on the evidence of him building two exceptional Ajax teams that play fantastic football. The Dutch league is hard to get a read on, but they've got success in Europe. It's two different teams have had success in Europe. They reached the semi-finals in 2019 and were phenomenal to watch. They are flying in Europe this year. They've just beaten Borussia Dortmund 4-0 and 3-1. Um, you know, they're, they're dominating that group. They won 5-1 in at Sporting Lisbon. So on results, you can't really argue with that. But he has, um, you know, he, he, it is a big leap for him. I think Rodgers, after that United-Leicester game, Rodgers was probably the leading candidate. But Samuel's right that it's not going brilliantly for Leicester at the moment. And it would be a leap of faith on current form to go for him. Pochettino, I still think, ticks a lot of boxes in embarrassing it would be for United. Yeah, I mean, he wanted to leave PSG for Tottenham in the summer, so I'm sure he'd want to leave PSG for United now. That PSG squad doesn't suit his style. And they're, I mean, they're, fly, they're miles clear in league earned, but they are, they're not convincing particularly. And if they were to lose in the last 16 of the Champions League, PSG might well wave him off in the summer and say, we'll, we'll try our luck elsewhere as well. So I would think... Pochettino or Ten Hag, I would probably lean towards Ten Hag, but there would certainly be an, an element of a gamble in there. Certainly not a bigger gamble as, as giving Solskjaer the job in March 2019, but there would still be a gamble with going for someone like Ten Hag. Why, why do yep. people keep mentioning Ralph Rangnick? What, what's... I, I know, cool name, isn't it? Yeah, is it's this just... <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm sounding like our esteemed colleague Neil Custis here, but it's it seems like... Um, Seems like a very yeah. Well, the, 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 yeah, he is very he is a very hipster choice, isn't he? Yeah, in management, it does often seem to be a name that you don't really know much about, but you can just argue and say he's he's got this. But yeah, I I don't see him. Like you said again, I don't see him as someone who you could get on the short term and he'd be happy to no. walk away. And yeah. Like... What I mean, what if the interim manager did a Di Matteo and won the Champions League? United have a better squad than that Chelsea one that actually won it. Yeah, it's not, they've got Cristiano Ronaldo. They've got such a talented squad that, I, you know, it wouldn't be a complete, complete surprise. But uh, obviously it's a stretch, but you never know. But Samuel, like we said earlier, one thing that any new manager, interim or not, will have to decide are our players' futures. Does that make it even more important that United get someone in quickly? Or do you think that sort of haste could make them make the wrong decision again? Do you think this is a process they really need to take their time over? Or do you think that, there is still something to salvage if they if they bring someone in quick. I think most of those futures that are in doubt are probably are probably um, taken care of. In the uh, I, I think Cavani, Mata, Lingard, and, and Pogba will all go next year, and it has got to the point where it's it feels pointless to to even try and get someone in who's just tailored to to, to their benefit. I mean, Solskjaer came in. Partly on the strength of his of his relationship with some of the players he, he coached at reserve team level, particularly Pogba, uh, given the uh, toxic time that he he had with Mourinho, um, it, it become a civil war between those two for most of 2018. Uh, so th there are obviously a lot of situations to sort out, but I think that's a situation that the permanent manager has to sort out. It, it would be very easy for the club to communicate that when they're going to be asked about what's the manager going to do about these players' futures to kind of 
be to, to give a non-committal answer really that is also heavily hinting at the inevitable which is that those players are probably going to to leave next year uh, I mean if, if, if somehow Pogba was to sign a new contract between now and, and, and the end of June uh, it, it would just be another another bad decision in a long line of bad decisions that United have made but when it comes to the permanent replacement whenever that may be I mean you look at look at the absolute mess Tottenham made of it in the summer <laughs> and Daniel Levy is meant to be actually quite good most of the time so you wait until you see what Richard Arnold gets up to in the summer um, but that permanent replacement I still think will inherit quite a good situation in that the, the decks will have been cleared to an extent and the money will be there to make the key signings it's still a very good squad it's more so the the other the long-term decisions like the goalkeeping situation you cannot have Dean Henson and De Gea still at the same club something has to give and that's probably going to be selling selling Henderson next year or the, or the new manager might come in and say actually he's young I want him to be my long-term goalkeeper and as much as I like De Gea we've we've got to prioritize the the long-term uh, aspect of it but one of them has got to go next year. At the moment, it looks like it, it has to be Henderson just because of uh, De Gea's resurgence this season. He's been United's player of the season. Uh, other ruthless decisions are needed because Solskjaer didn't want to make them. Anthony Martial is, is a player that has to go. There's a lot of Deadwood that's still lingering um, in the squad. There are a lot of open goals for the next permanent manager, uh, whether it be just playing Van der Beek not playing Martial, taking the captaincy of Harry Maguire, which has to be strongly considered because he was only given that role because he was Solskjaer's man and he was signed on Solskjaer's watch. And you just look at the form he's had this season. And to be honest, I think beyond that, there are other reservations as to um, his status as, as captain. And there are certain players in the squad who um, felt as though his, his promotion to captain was premature as well. But... As, as you say, it's, it's not going to stop us writing about the, the strange dynamic of an interim manager and then a second interim manager um, being in charge of looking after a Champions League campaign, possibly, of getting United into the top four and of managing Paul Pogba, Jesse Lingard uh, and Edison Cavani in their last months at the club, most, most likely anyway. Ty, I guess another important thing for United is that and now that social has gone, it's become a bit of time to reflect. And if you go to social media, you know, everyone will be unanimous that he had to go. But you can step back and say, well, he did lay some some solid foundations for whoever comes in. There's a very talented squad there with some top, you know, world-class talents and really young talent as well. Untapped potential. You know, United are in a better place now, maybe, in terms of their squad than they were when, when Solskjaer took over. How important do you think it is that United get another manager who's in that mould, who has the same philosophy? And, you know, I mean, they've, they've hammered home over the last few years how Solskjaer's restored, you know, the club belief and the cultural reset and all that sort of crap that they push out there. But how important do you think it is that they, they get someone who can continue that? Because it does feel like, you know, he's an important bridge to, to the success. And it would be really bad if United maybe employed someone now who was completely contradictory to the to those beliefs yeah i think um i think it was going Neville who called him a, a bridge manager um the other week and it kind of feels like a reasonable term albeit the bridge has been far Burnt far too long really yeah yeah it needed to be a shorter bridge um but 
Yeah, he, you know, he, he has. I mean, United trumped it again that he's he's reset the culture. Unfortunately, you can't put that on the mantelpiece um, back in Norway. But he has done. You know, it it feels a more harmonious club. Looking at it, the end um, wasn't as toxic as under Mourinho. The players clearly liked him, if not respected him, in terms of the work he was doing. Um, and it feels like that there's. You know, there's players that are badly out of form at the moment, and I think that partly badly out of form because of the system. People like Luke Shaw, Harry Maguire, there's a bit of Euros hangover in there. Lindelof yesterday, they're being exposed by a system that has completely malfunctioned all season and hasn't been fixed. I wouldn't be surprised if a new manager came in and within six weeks, Harry Maguire looked a very good centre-half again and Luke Shaw looked like a world-class left-back again in a, in a more coherent system. Um, so I think, you know, I think they need to get a manager who follows that kind of, of principle, who plays. I mean, I saw he didn't really have a style, but I guess he was he was trying to create vibes, a more attacking team. Yeah, vibes with wingers. Um, I think the risk of going for someone like Conte or Zidane, a kind of short-termism, is that if that didn't work for two years, then United are even further down the road of kind of that post-Fergie era. You know, if they went for a Conte in two years, it didn't work and they appointed someone new, you're 11 years from the last time they won the title. All that knowledge of that has gone. And we can talk about them being the biggest club in the world all we like. But at the end of the day, supporters don't give a damn how many social media followers they get or interactions they get or how many people in China like their TikTok or whatever. You know, it's, it's a complete irrelevance. They've got to win trophies. And the longer it goes without, the harder it's going to be to get back there. And, you know, it, to use a bit of a, a crass example, it, you know, Liverpool only ended a 30-year title drought a couple, what, a couple of years ago now, and no one thinks United are going to get to 30 years. But I bet after nine years, no one at Liverpool thought they'd get to 30 years either. This sort of stuff can spiral away from you very, very quickly if you keep making bad decisions. So they've got to make a good decision now. Um, you know, I was having a conversation with someone before about who's been the most successful of the four managers post-Ferguson. The easy answer is none of them, because if any of them had been a success, they'd still be here in a job and United would have won the league and they haven't. So... To a degree, they've all failed because they've all been sacked. Um, so they need to get they need to get a decision right because the longer it goes without winning a trophy, the harder it's going to be. They're miles behind Chelsea, Liverpool, and City, not just in the quality of the football, but in the quality of decisions that those clubs make as well. It is far superior to United, and United need to start correcting that and finally make a good decision. Yeah, exactly. And like you said as well, those other teams are set up for future success as well. Even if they were to make managerial changes themselves, you'd say that they've got the those building blocks in place to at least continue that momentum and to, to build upon it as well. And yeah, I mean, since Sarks Ferguson's retired, United have sacked four managers and won three major trophies. So, you know, that's not the sort of ratio that you want to be plastering. Uh, Samuel, one thing that's kind of interesting, I know there's probably not too much to go into at the moment, though, is January transfer window. Do you think that United will provision i mean it's very early days to say this but do you think that any interim manager would actually be backed in a, in a transfer window or do you think that united can almost use that as an excuse to put off any any new signing etc to the summer in fairness to them i think that it would be a justifiable excuse not to not to make any reinforcements in january i don't think there's there's not a massive need for reinforcements as well in january specifically of course at the end of the season look ahead to next year it's it's already becoming quite clear what positions they need to target and will want to target. But after the amount of money they've spent and, and the quality of the squad, which again, just to emphasize, it is a good squad. It's been 
it's been made a bad squad by bad coaches, the majority of whom are still there, which is a, is a massive, massive problem that seems to be lost on um, on Ed Woodward and, I mean, the absentee landlords. The, 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 house, is, the house is on fire, but they're, they're still in Tampa. Um, so I, I don't... I just don't see really the need to go into January and say, oh, we need to spend here, we need to spend there um, under a caretaker manager. Uh, I don't think a caretaker manager will, will be able to to make those demands anyway. Um, caretaker interim, it seems like you can't say caretaker anymore. I, I don't quite understand where, where that's coming from. But uh, yeah, it's it's been a long, long weekend already. <laughs> I'm already very tired and fried from it all but um this this is the occupational hazard that, that comes with covering the club so i mean january as said on the q a the other day i just think it feels absolutely moot um some players could go because they might be able to obtain fees for them um but that's that's a strange dynamic in that where the world cup next year is in november some players might think well i can hang tight until the summer and then play really well and consistently for three months and force my way into the squad other players might look upon the situation in a more diligent way and think I need to get a move now so I'll be playing regularly and I, I can get that face time in the March squad together uh, squad get togethers and and, and be, be in contention for, for fixtures in in June as well uh, but there'll be some who are just quite quite content and comfortable and don't need to do that Paul Pogba certainly doesn't need to prove himself to Didier Deschamps he, he will be going to the World Cup next year fitness permitting so in a lot of ways for him, it, it makes it makes infinite sense to wait it out and see what comes up at the end of the season. Whereas someone like Jesse Lingard, I think he, he has got to play more regularly if he wants to get back into into the England squad. Yeah, of course, I guess you only have to look back at when Solskjaer was the, the caretaker manager, whatever you want to call him. It, Fellaini was sold in January, United didn't buy anyone. Yeah. And then it was it was March, wasn't it, when, when he was appointed and they went off in the summer and had that clean slate. So, like you said, I, I, I agree with that. But it's just because there's lots of people saying new defensive midfield is still needed and, of course, whoever comes in will have to solve Ooh. that midfield balance. Uh, Who the hell are they going to sign in January? Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Oh. Roy Keane, maybe get him as a player manager in. Who yeah. knows? Good <laughs> tick tick two boxes. Ty, something that I kind of want to sort of near near the end of this podcast, this live, to, to reflect on is for you then, what is Oligor Solskjaer's legacy as a Manchester United manager? How will he be remembered, do you think? Um I think he'd be well, unfortunately, he'd be remembered as someone who was in over his head and fundamentally wasn't good enough. Um, I think he'd be remembered as someone who probably united the club, who built or certainly helped to build a squad that should be capable of getting very close to winning the title. Someone who has improved players, and a lot of those players he's improved have regressed this season. But as I say, I think that's purely down to the the, the tactical um, disaster that has been this season. I think they'll get back to those levels. So I think he's done a lot of positive work. Um, I think he'd be remembered as yeah, a safe pair of hands, I guess. I mean, it's not how he wants to be remembered, but that's kind of what he is. A nice guy, a nice guy to deal with. Again, that's not really what he wants. Um, you know, no one's really got a bad word to say about him. He was almost, as Samuel um, pointed out yesterday and a couple of us pointed out, he, he's almost too nice yesterday in that, you know, he's letting Ranieri run across his own technical area roughing Tom Cleverley's hair, you know, there's almost, you almost want a bit of fight in him and he didn't really have it. But I think, you know, I think he'll just be remembered as someone 
who who tried his best, who had United at his heart, who made decisions, who made decisions that he felt were for the benefit of the long term future of the club, whether it was he that would get to benefit or not. Um, you know, I think I think he made a lot of those decisions. But fundamentally, he wasn't good enough. He was overpromoted in March 2019 when he got the job permanently. United rushed into that appointment. That you know that PSG game is. I mean, you're casting Joel Glazer with Gwyneth Paltrow in sliding doors, really, in um, in appointing him in in that game because it should never have happened. And they won that game. And this, I mean, this is not rewriting history, but they weren't. You know, Solskjaer got it wrong at the start of that game. Eric Bailly at right back was a disaster. He had to go off injured, which benefited Solskjaer. It was a back to the wall performance. There was a lot of character in the squad there, a lot of fight. They deserved immense credit for it. It was but never it a penalty. Can I put that? Well, well, there, yeah, get it was a off my chest. <laughs> slightly dubious penalty. So it yeah. wasn't like they'd gone to Paris and outplayed PSG. They got a very good win in very difficult circumstances with a very young squad, and he deserved immense credit for it. But the the giddiness of that night was something that the fans should have enjoyed. You can argue even Gary Neville doing it, you know, that that ridiculous interview with Solskjaer, he, you know, he's he's getting carried away with the giddiness of it. We were getting carried away with the giddiness of it in the press box, but we sort of, you know, we, we almost represent the fans' mood at the time and the mood in Paris that night was complete giddiness of United are back. It's for the job of people who are paid millions of pounds a year to say, hang on, are we back or not? And they weren't and they rushed into that decision and appointed a manager who wasn't equipped for it and has since spent two and a half years thinking, let's carry on this experiment and see if he is, and, and he isn't. So it's a shame, really, because had he gone in, had they not rushed into it and he'd gone in the summer of 2019, I think he'd have gone with everyone's best wishes. He'd have had a phenomenal reception at Old Trafford in his final game, and United could have moved on and appointed a permanent manager then, and Solskjaer would have been remembered as a phenomenal caretaker who oversaw one of, trophies aside, I guess, one of the greatest nights in United's history with that win in Paris. Unfortunately, they rushed into the decision and... It's basically been a two and a half year gamble that they just kept piling chips on and, and it's backfired and they just couldn't face admitting that they'd they'd stake the stake the house on him really. Um and that's kind of that's how he'll be remembered, I guess, and it's a shame really. Yeah, like I say, I guess it just sort of snowballed out of control at the end and they were just trying to add more to it to, to hope that they could control it. But Samuel, I guess one of the questions I want to ask for you, and I, I'm guessing that you've probably given me sort of a two-letter answer to this. Obviously, we know Solskjaer is not the only change needed at United. Do you actually think that we will see big enough changes above him in the wake of this? No. No. The owners uh, are still there. Uh, they've, they've never looked like leaving. Uh, I know there was all the the Saudi chatter a couple of years ago, three years ago, uh, which was largely uh, baseless or spurious stuff. Uh, I think Richard Arnold is probably going to be replacing Ed Woodward, so that that's the only change, I suppose. Woodward's fallen on his sword over the Super League. That's that's one of the few positives of the whole Super League fiasco. It's that Ed Woodward is actually not not going to be at Manchester United for much longer, uh, but he even he's been in that role too long. Um, I'm a little bit confused by, I mean, I mean, today in the in the background that was provided, I've never ever come across a more effusive um, background on a manager's sacking, to the point that United actually got one of their statistics wrong when they said that Solskjaer had given more academy graduate um, academy academy graduates debuts than Van Gaal, Mourinho, and Moyes combined, which is is just false. He hasn't. Um, but they were talking about his post-war uh, win ratio, uh, the unbeaten run, 
uh, two top three finishes. Uh, they even actually mentioned four semi-finals and a final. And I'm thinking, do you want to look at the do you want to look at the honors board and and see what is actually chiselled onto it? But this is the the, the standards at, at the club are on the floor, um, and that's that's what they're operating on under now. That that is probably the cultural reset. They've they've reset the culture back to 1974 when they got relegated and weren't winning anything after they won the European Cup. It, it's it's similar to that. So, the, the, and and again on the structure, they they talk they were talking about John Murta and Darren Fletcher about how their roles would be really important during this period of transition. When when you speak to people who have dealt with them, they're very confused about Darren Fletcher's role. Um, because he's watched games as a technical director from the dugout, as he did on Saturday, uh, from the press box with the analysts and from the director's box with the suits. I mean, that what, what other technical director... And gets involved in training. And gets involved like in training and poses yeah. in the winning team, shots with other players, uh, just a, a jobs for the boys mentality, unfortunately. And United need to eradicate that. And John Murta, as the football director, is a very amiable chap, but a lot of people wonder what he actually what he actually does there. Um, certainly at first team level. So at times like this, everyone's role is going to be scrutinised, and they're going to get pilloried as well. Because although Solskjaer was a big problem and had to go, uh, the, the, the problems go way beyond him. They they went way beyond Mourinho when when his management was a problem. Um, Van Gaal, to a lesser extent, it was still early days post-Ferguson uh, somewhat, but everybody's everybody's well aware that the ownership is a problem and, and the running of the club is just, it's risible. They come up with original ways of how not to run a football club on, 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 a, on a weekly or a monthly basis, it seems. And just, just taking, taking Aston Villa and Norwich, for example, recently, they sacked the manager in the November internationals. They get two worthy replacements in before their next game. It's it's really not difficult, but here United are with a caretaker manager who will give way to an interim manager, who will give way to a permanent manager all in the space of six months, potentially. It's, it's crackers. Yeah, who knows what what else is to come. I mean, let's hope this is the all-new low, but who knows, United could limbo even even further down, couldn't they? Uh, Ty, you've got the honours of Villarreal this week. Of course, Michael Carrick's uh, first game in charge as interim manager. Do you expect to see an immediate response from United on the pitch? I mean, surely the players ha- will come out fighting with a point to prove, but something feels a little bit different this time that, you know, United won't just turn up and, you know, like that Cardiff game when Solskjaer's in charge and just sweep away the opposition, you know. Villarreal, a very, a very strong side, the team fighting for their own future in the in the Champions League as well. What what are you expecting maybe from United this week? Are you are you going are you optimistic United will will make an immediate upturn in form? And not massively, no, because like we say, a lot a lot of the issues around the coaching haven't changed. The the situations are kind of different in that the end the end for Mourinho have come because it was almost untenable given the relationships he had in the dressing room at that point and the, the toxicity there. And in a way, it was an easy job. Soska was the ideal man for it because he had to put smiles on faces and he's a nice, amiable guy who came in and patted everyone on the back and they responded to that. This time, they haven't really fallen out with Soska. The issue isn't that. The issue is tactical and technical and it's not like there's a new staff coming in to fix it. If Michael Carrick was capable of fixing it, then presumably he would have done unless he's just not been given 
his voice to do it. You know, maybe it'll be a revelation, but I don't think anyone's holding their breath expecting that to be the case. So it'd be a surprise if too much is fixed, really, by making one of the coaches who's who's overseen significant tactical issues the, the caretaker manager. It feels like we're not really going to see significant changes until we see kind of a, a fresh a fresh voice riding into Old Trafford. No, exactly. Yeah, I think that is... Yeah, sort of sums it up, doesn't it? Really, it's not the cheery finale that many fans of movie want. Yeah, yeah, apologies for that, but but no, thank you very much. And Ty Samuel, thank you very much for joining us today on the Manchester's Red podcast and and on Facebook Live as well. Thank you, Rich. Thank you, Rich. Appreciate it. Yeah, and thank you very much to all of you who've sent questions, posted comments. We put a few of them on screen as when we could have done. And yeah, like I said, stay with the MEN all week as we'll bring you all the latest on United's trip to Villarreal. We'll bring you all the latest as well on the search for their, you know, the carousel of managers that are going to be coming up. Who knows what awaits? But once again, thank you very much for joining us. Please do leave a like and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. And we'll see you again next time. <laughs>